Uh, My name is Cameron. I'm one of the teaching pastors here. It's good to be with you all this morning. We are back in the book of Romans. Uh, We are on the final uh, run through uh, chapters 14 through 16. So we'll finish up our two-year journey in the book of Romans uh, sometime in July. And so it has been a gift to me to have to study the book and preach it and for others as well. And so uh, let's make sure that we remember what has come before by virtue of why Paul wrote this letter. Remember, he was writing to a church divided. And they were divided uh, because they were trying to decide who God loved more. Now, that's going to become very important for chapters 14 and 15 because he's going to, to really speak to some of the circumstances within the context of the local church uh, where they were struggling in, in particular. And we want to make sure that we lean in and listen, but we're paying attention to the right words. There's a sense in which he's going to talk about the weak and the strong quite a bit uh, in chapters 14 and 15. And if you're not careful, if we are not careful, we could get tangled up on those two words. So I want you to be very careful that you're not wasting your time trying to figure out if you are weak or strong necessarily, uh, or if the people that you invite to your home are weak or strong. That's not the point. He's using those, uh, those um, classifications to try to get them to understand something deeper. And so we want to pay close attention for what Paul is truly calling us to pay attention to. Because clearly, if he's trying to help them be united and not think one is more loved than the other, why would he hand them a classification by which they could point at each other and say, you are weak and I am strong, Right? So that can't be his point here. So we want to make sure that we pay attention to what it is that he has for us this morning. So if you would give your attention to the reading of God's word, this is Romans 14, uh, verses 1 through 4. And as you turn to Romans 14, let me give you the key truth that I'd love for us to walk away with. God calls us to build up the church. God calls us to build up the church through hospitality to those who are weak in faith. If you would give your attention to the reading of God's word. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, let me ask you, uh, when has the hospitality of others who are more mature than you uh, been, been beneficial to you? When have you benefited from being invited into the life, not just the home, uh, not just just the space, but the life of someone who is more mature than you? Well, I I know for myself, this has been uh, one of the, the key ways in which I was drawn to the Lord over time. Because I was invited into the lives of more mature saints, uh, I was able to see that the gospel was real, that it took on flesh and blood, that it mattered to day-to-day life. Without that, I, I don't know that I come. Because that was the thing that confounded me. Actually coming into contact with people who had been loved much and who were able to forgive much. Now you notice the qualification I just gave of the mature 
It is those who have been loved much who are able to forgive much. So if you are wondering, hey, am I strong? Well, that's the question. Have you been loved much? Last week's sermon is, is actually the preamble to this sermon in many respects. Remember what it said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Uh, to, in, in essence, to redeem those who were his children. So it is those who are loved much. So you first must understand that. Right? We've got to know who and whose we are before we start worrying about strength. And then from that, out of that, are you quick and able to fully forgive? Are you someone who holds grudges? That would be a weakness. Are you someone who is easily offended? That would be a weakness. Are you someone who uh, can't forgive certain things? That would be a weakness. And so it is important that we recognize that the way in which Paul is using these words is actually to draw us in, to make us pay attention, because you've got to remember and go, hey, what, what, wait a minute. What's he talking about? Now, Tim Keller gives a definition of the weak that I think is helpful to us. He says this, Paul is not saying that weak Christians aren't saved, or even that they don't trust Christ. In fact, the weak are generally the most fervent and diligent in trying to please Christ. Where they are weak is in the remnants of a legalistic spirit that clings to them. They have not worked out the implications of the gospel. If you are saved by grace alone, there is no need to feel you can or must somehow keep God's favor through rules and regulations. Now, the reason that he can give that definition, if we were to read more of Romans 14, the, the issue with the weak is that they say you can't eat meat. Now, did I just say that all vegetarians are weak and we carnivores are strong? Well, maybe, but not, it's not biblical. <laughs> right? That wouldn't be a biblical qualification. Why were these folks concerned about the eating of meat? Well, 1 Corinthians 10 gives us a little bit of insight in that, uh, in 11 as well, is, is if, so if you didn't eat meat, what kind of meat would you never have to worry about? Meat sacrificed to idols, right? So there would never be any confusion. And do remember, to be fair to these folks, that, that the Jewish laws about food and drink were not just meant to, to be killjoys, right? It wasn't that you couldn't eat bacon or shrimp or shrimp-wrapped bacon uh, or bacon-wrapped shrimp. I don't know how you wrap shrimp with bacon, but if you can come up with that, I'd love to try it. Uh, it just means a lot of shrimp on one piece of bacon, I think, is what that means. And so, so it's not that he was being a killjoy. He was actually trying to, to make sure that they would distinguish themselves from the surrounding culture and all the ways in which they live so as to draw the surrounding nations to them. It was meant to stand out for a missional purpose. So these folks that are struggling with this are, are, are struggling genuinely when it comes to food and drink. Think about within our modern uh, circumstance, especially here in the South, there's a group of people known as teetotalers who call themselves in the lineage of John the Baptist is where that comes from. And the argument goes, if you never take the first sip of alcohol, you can never become an alcoholic, right? Or you can never get in trouble with that. So there's a way in which there's a missionality even to the teetotal. They were trying to think things through at a particular time in our country when that was something that was raging all across the frontier. 
And so it was intended for missional purposes. And so there are contexts in which that makes sense. Paul's going to actually make that argument here as we get further into 14. They also were focused on certain feast days, right? Now, in Colossians chapter 2, Paul makes it very clear that we as redeemed people in Christ do not have to continue to keep the, the moons and the festivals and the seasons and the days, with the exception of the Lord's Day Sabbath. And so, and so the, but these folks said, well, but, but remember, this is what helped reveal to us Jesus. So to be fair to them, it was something that continued to call Christ to their minds. And so it was not something that was doing them damage. Where the damage comes in is when they began to judge other people for not being willing to eat the Seder meal or whatever else it may be. And so the issue, more than likely, and this is interesting given the church, is that it was the Jews primarily that Paul's talking to and maybe young Gentile uh, converts who were following after some of the Jewish practices. Now, who would the Jews be in this scenario, the older brother or the younger brother? They are the older brother. They came first. They had the covenant, remember? Paul makes all these arguments. So this is a very decentering conversation for him to go from Romans 9 through 11, essentially saying, hey, the Jews still matter very much to the Lord our God. They are his covenant chosen people. They came first, so the whole reason you're here. Remember, the Gentiles are here because these are Jews who came out of Pentecost, who were redeemed in the power of the Holy Spirit. And now he's turning to them saying, and you clinging to these things makes you weaker. And in essence, those who are free in Christ and know that all things have been made clean, they are stronger. But that's not the point of this conversation at all. And we would be remiss if that's something that we were to focus on. The real issue here is hospitality. The real issue here is relationship and communion of the saints. Because notice what he says. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him. Now, do you think that this is kind of a begrudging, like, all right, I'll put up with it. Eat your vegetables. I don't care. You know, here's a can of those beans and carrots together. You'll probably like that. Here, take that. No. Welcome this person. To welcome this person means to actively pursue them. It means to actually seek to be in a relationship with them so as to display the unity of the church. So as to help them also grow in understanding that these things are not to be divisive. Because notice, he also gives a warning to the weak, does he not? Don't judge those who eat. Notice he used different language there. It's stronger, actually, for the weak. It's called judgment. And so here, the, the, the strong, they're supposed to seek to build relationship with those. And now you've got to understand, this isn't... This isn't no, they were offended by what they were doing. And they knew they were carnivores. And so just to lay aside for a meal and be like, all right, we'll just do salad and some other rabbit food, I guess, is not, it would not at all keep at bay what was happening. They're not fools. They understood that each other had different positions. But they were to actually pursue the ones who were judging them. You understand? Let that sit for a second. 
we too are called to a similar hospitality. Now, this is within the church, but you need to understand how the argument can go from the greater to the lesser. It is also to be true of us in the world, is it not? So what is the condition of every human being prior to coming to Christ in terms of what they understand about the gospel? Are they weak or are they strong? They're weak. What is the condition of every human being that comes by divine invitation into the house of the Lord, into the Lord's presence, via his grace and the person of Christ in which they have faith? What is their condition? Who of us comes boldly before we ever know Christ and is able to lay down enough offering to be saved? No one. So that means that we are united in this fact, which is some of the things that we say in our congregational response. We are united in the fact that we are all fallen and weak. And there was one who was strong, strong beyond measure, strong beyond compare, the creator of the very universe, the one who could destroy us body and soul, who chooses not to, but instead bestows his love upon us in Christ, and he welcomes us again and again and again. Right? Remember Romans 5. We now stand, stand, not grovel, not lay, Stand in the presence of the Lord at peace because of what Christ has done. Hebrews 4 tells us we now can come boldly before the throne of grace to receive what we need in a time of trouble because what our high priest has done for us. Not, because, not begrudging to the Father. No, sent by the Father to retrieve his children. Sent by the Father to open the way for us to come to him and enjoy all of the heavenly blessings. We could read Ephesians 1 here and hopefully break out in worship. Right? Because of the lavish love of God, we now have access to all, all the heavenly blessings. He has welcomed us. And if we are ambassadors of that said reconciliation, how then ought we function to those who are weak? in whatever condition of weakness they're in, whether it's unbelief, whether it's judgmentalism, whether it's legalism, whether it's licentiousness, what should our posture be? Got to be one Christian here just by the law of averages. What should it be? Loving, welcoming. We are to be hospitable for our God has been hospitable to us who were, remember Ephesians 2, enemies. You were welcomed as an enemy. You didn't get cleaned up, right? You didn't. If you remember, there's an Old Testament story um, in Zechariah chapter 3 about Joshua the high priest, one of the great pictures of grace uh, and God's love for his people. Joshua the high priest is covered in filth. And when I say filth, I'm being nice with that. It is horror that he's covered in. And so he is before the angel of the Lord in the Holy of Holies. Now, if you know the law, what should happen to this man? He should die. Now, who brought him there? Well, someone known as the accuser. Satan, as they like to say in France, or Satan, as we say in the South. Uh, <laughs> and so he, he brings this man before the angel of the Lord. And you know what the angel of the Lord says? He says, he 
is a firebrand plucked from the fire. Bring him a new turban and a new cloak, and he is cleansed. And the accuser's going, wait, what, what is this? I, I, thought, I thought we were working on the retribution principle. I thought it was one-to-one. You sin, you die. You sin, you suffer. And the angel of the Lord, who is the pre-incarnate Christ, as many argue, and I believe it to be so, says, no. You have brought Joshua the high priest here essentially by divine invitation. He is welcome. You are not. And so we need to recognize, first and foremost, that this discussion is not a new law or a new legalism for us. It is a way of life into which we are called. We are to be hospitable people. Now, let me be careful here because different of us have different gifts in this regard, right? If you go to Bonnie Lane's house, you're going to get fed and fed well. You come to Susan Barham's house, you're going to get fed. And if you are not a teetotaler, you're going to drink well. And so, uh, so it's important that you understand, like everybody has different gifts. Other people, you go to their house, you're going to have wonderful conversation. They have beautiful setting. You go to other people's house and, and their kids are going to be the most welcoming thing, their dog, their cat, whatever it may be. And so we all have different ways in which we are called to be and gifted to be hospitable. So don't, don't get tangled up in, in that word meaning something that it doesn't. Don't think that you've got to get a membership to Pinterest and follow all that stuff necessarily. Hospitality is not just food and drink. Remember, we already said that. And we're going to see that food and drink of the heart, not just the home. This is a genuine care for someone who's looking at you who's saying, you are wrong. And notice what he says not to do if you welcome them in. What are you not to do? You're not to fight about it. You don't welcome them in so that you can correct their wrong thinking. Because their wrong thinking is more powerful than just being wrong about something. It is essentially that they believe they are doing service unto God and you are not. And so you are to welcome in this judgmental, maybe slightly cranky individual into your life to love them well, to to come alongside them, to be part of the family and the kingdom of God. And not argue or quarrel, and I love the way he says this, over opinions. I can't tell how many circumstances I've been in where I am quick to point out that is your opinion. And yet we speak as if everything is fact, as if we are epidemiologists, as if we're virologists, as if we're sociologists, as if we're political scientists. Yes, I know you have access to the internet. That doesn't make you any of those things, does it? And so it is important that we recognize that that opinions are essentially everything other than what God has revealed about himself. Now, I didn't just suggest that fuzzy math is actually right. No, some things are just true. I'm not being silly here, but what we need to recognize is that our opinions of them and what they matter, more importantly, is only important if it is to exalt God and to build up his people, anyone who bears his image. And so you're not to call them over so you can correct their thinking. 
And as he said, this is a matter of food in this case. One is a vegetarian, not just for health purposes and not just because of the Daniel diet, uh, but mainly so that they're not eating food sacrificed to idols because they don't want to be a missional hindrance to their neighbors. So isn't that interesting? They're actually genuinely thinking about their unbelieving friends and neighbors. So should we, should we squelch that? No. No, we shouldn't. But he makes it clear that this is not something they're to be divided over. And we're not to despise them, us carnivores, and the vegetarians are not to judge us carnivores for choosing to recognize that all things have been made clean. Acts chapter 10. And the reasoning, the foundational reasoning is it says because God has welcomed him. Now if God has welcomed him, what should we do as ambassadors of that same God? We're to do the same. And he says, who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? Uh-oh. It is before his own master that he stands or falls. So he's saying that there is one who is wiser than you that can determine whether or not this is a matter that should rise to the level of more than opinion and is the breaking of a law and therefore must be judged, disciplined, or corrected. It is not for us to decide these things. But too much of it, we, we, we've been deciding on opinions instead of trying to build up and edify so that we could be firmly grounded on facts, the facts of the gospel. And he goes on even further. He could have stopped there and it would have been sufficient, but he says something even more beautiful. He says, and he, being the master, will uphold... For the Lord is able to make him stand. Now remember what it says, uh, Paul says about Jesus in another place in his most personal letter in 2 Corinthians as it gets toward the end. He says, it is in my weakness that Christ is made strong. And so if we are to be further in the image of Christ, someone else's Weakness should be an opportunity for Christ to be made much of in and through us for their sake. It's for us to engage, recognizing that we too are weak. And this is the difficulty because if you go trying to figure out, am I weak or am I strong? It really is, if you think about it, probably contextual. There are some issues on which you may have perfect liberty in the gospel of Christ and you're forgiving and you're loving. And there are other issues in which you are not. So in some sense, that's why it's not important for us to try to figure out which of these are we, but more importantly, who are we? Whose are we? And from there, to follow the pattern that God has set of hospitality and welcoming our enemies, those who would even judge us, who look exactly like us, who could be of us. Think about all the divisions that are going on in, in just the church. It's a parallel of society lagging behind by about five or 10 years in America. But, but think about how we speak of each other. How we, how we laud ourselves. Is it ever of Christ to speak pridefully of ourselves? Yes or no? Absolutely not. It is never for us to say, oh, I am the strong one and you are the weaker one and therefore I am better than you. I have been called to correct you 
online in front of God and everybody, but not personally. But I'll at you. I'll tag you in it. What? This is beyond, I mean, this has, has no biblical frame whatsoever. And if you go calling yourself a prophet, should you so do that? You need to do some reading about the end to every prophet in the scripture. And I would think that you would find that mantle far, far heavier than the one that Christ has actually tried to give you as a redeemed ambassador. And so what we have here is a divine invitation that we are called to come and welcome to actively pursue those in our context in the local church that don't understand how we're living out certain things and maybe even are critical of us. And to seek to reconcile that, not through argumentation, but through hospitality, love, and prayer. I was talking with a, a good friend of mine who's, who's a mentor, who's an older saint, who's welcomed me into his life, and it has been insanely beneficial. He was talking about that there was a, a circumstance in a local church where the pastor had gotten sideways with the session, and uh, they were at odds, and so they called in uh, the, the presbytery uh, to, to, to weigh in on this matter. And so Joe comes in, and he, and he says, first question straight away, he goes, hey, when's, when's the last time you prayed for, for him? Dead silence. He said, well, just so you don't feel bad, when's the last time you prayed for him? Dead silence. Now, does prayer cover everything? Does it solve everything? It softens a bunch, though. Right? And it actually shows dependence or weakness so that we are not relying upon the fullness of our strength and arrogance. And so straight away, you have a circumstance where people are divided and they're not even using the means of grace to try to move toward each other. It is patently unbiblical for us to fight away from each other or to fight with each other instead of toward each other. It should be difficult, very difficult to divide us. But is it? How often do you get notions in your head about uh, something someone else believes or what leadership is doing behind the scenes or why something was said a certain way and you never come and ask? And you never, you, you, you don't find out for sure whether or not the person that you're thinking of is the monster that you think they are so that you can find a church where your family would be safe. And yet you let that do work instead of going, you know what? Now I'm going to go find out. We would do each other a service. We create more friction and division by not approaching one another with the things that we're upset about or concerned about or struggling with. To see it reconciled, right? That should be our greatest desire. And if you are in the Spirit and I'm in the Spirit, that ought to be a common ground. That ought to help us move toward each other, right? Have you been burned? Yes, I have too. I get it. I, 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 why continue to beat your head against the same wall? But the gospel calls us to a certain way. 
It uses that term, a certain way in which we are to engage with each other. And this is what Paul's calling them to do. They've got division. They've got uh, all kind of things going. They've got all kind of thoughts in their heads about each other. And look at what he's calling them to do. Y'all, break bread. Get together. F- see the other person's humanity. Find out if what you think is actually true. Find out if they actually have Christ in them. And why should we do this? For the life of the world. It's not to be a fortress on a hill that's a comfortable uh, commune for us to vacation in once a week. No, it's to be a city on a hill. It's to be a light that shines in the darkness. Not covered by a bushel for no one to see. This has missional implications, right? Think about how the division within the church that has been so public. If you don't get that that you shouldn't be trying to trash people publicly as a Christian, I I just don't know what to do for you. The world is watching, and you know what? They don't read any of that stuff and go, man, I should probably go to church on Sunday. It sounds like they're wilding out. Because we don't ever really act like we talk online. Well, some do, but not many. In fact, we would probably do better if we acted like we talked online. We would realize just how crazy it is. And so we got to remember that we are called to this hospitality for God's glory, our joy. Is it not a joy? Think of if you've ever been in the middle of a church split, which I'm not, there's not one right now that I'm aware of. But if you've ever been in the middle of one, it is terrible. We were part of a church where they were, uh, they had sent the youth pastor kind of around to kind of hunt down the problem and had some absurd conversations. Fortunately, the Lord plucked us up and sent us to exile in Macon before it all went down. And so it it is a horrible, you don't want to go to church on Sunday when you feel like everything's divided. And you don't want to be a part of something that feels inhospitable, do you? But remember the church is. For those who would visit, and you have a say in this matter. For those who would visit our church, you have a say in this matter, regardless of how long you've been a member here, or if you're just a regular attender. You have a say in this matter because of Christ in you. So let's be a hospitable people because we have been welcomed. We're going to, as Josh said, we will fail each other in this regard. I am not going to remember your birthday. I don't care what you do. You should send me a birthday card for you to sign and send back to you. That's about the only way it's probably going to happen. And y'all don't really pay much attention to the entire month of October's Pastoral Appreciation Month, which also includes my birthday. It's just two birds, one stone. You skip both. It's okay. That's not the main reason we are gathered together to acknowledge each other. We're, we gather together to acknowledge Christ and hopefully minister to each other and remember some things about each other. But we will, because of our own weaknesses, because nobody in this room can claim the, the moniker of strong in toto apart from Christ. We will fail each other in some respects. But we ought not on purpose. And Michael J. Gorman says this about this passage. He says, Paul wants the Roman churches to live out the letter's theme of Jews and Gentiles as one body in Christ. 12, 3 through 7. Equally in need of God's grace and equally recipients of it. This will happen only 
if they lovingly welcome one another, including their cultural differences, matters that ultimately don't matter in Christ, then they will be able to worship God together harmoniously as one body, a small but powerful example of God's intentions for the whole world. So what areas of faith are you weak in that would benefit from hospitable, the hospitable instruction of someone stronger? Think about what Paul says in Titus 2. What are the younger and the older supposed to do? Call each other names? Boomer? Snowflake? Is that where that originated? What are they supposed to do? What are the older and the younger supposed to do? Thank you. Build each other up. And it's the older that is to pass on to the younger. And so, so often what I hear from older saints is, I don't, I got nothing to pass on. All I got is mistakes. No, all you got is forgiveness, which is all you had in the first place. Even those of you who think you got it right, you are forgiven of that too. And so it's not that, it's, it's that somebody has to have it all together to meet with somebody and benefit them. Right? Because if that's the qualification, who can meet with whom? No one. But instead, the qualification is, have you been loved of Christ and have you been forgiven much? Go and help others do the same. Do we not need to grow in forgiveness in parenting? Marriage? Neighboring? Workplace stuff? Political stuff? I could go on. So we could all benefit. There's no one in this room who would not benefit from being invested in by someone who's a further down the road than them. It, it doesn't have to be an age thing. It can also be life experience or experience of some kind. And then what opinions of those who you think are weaker in faith tempt you to frustration and inhospitality? It's worthy of you thinking about that. I know you're scared to do it because you think, man, if I, if I codify this, I know that what the Holy Spirit's going to do. And you're right. He will. But what you will see is God's glory in it. You will see the Lord answering a prayer you didn't really want him to answer, but you'll be glad he did. And so we need to think these things through, recognizing who we all really are before we came to Christ and who we all really are in Christ. Now think about what a gift it is on a, a message like that, that we get to come to the table, the table at which we are all invited by the host. Am I the host? No. Jesus is. And notice that Jesus says, come all and be nourished by elements that you think don't matter because they just seem so weak. If you eat that wafer, you know exactly what I'm talking about. For some of you, just trying to get the piece of bread out of the cup sometimes makes you feel weak because it just won't come, will it? And so, so we, under, or even trying to open that cellophane, some of y'all find great weakness in that. But Jesus makes it very clear. If you know you need a Savior, and you know that He is the Savior, and that you have no other way, you are invited. Now, if you are unforgiving, that's a weakness that would keep you from this table. 
If there's some particular issue on which you are not willing to process, you're not willing to budge on it, you're not willing to even be uh, uh, reconciled on it, then lack of reconciliation keeps you from this table because that's what this table is. It represents our reconciliation and then our nourishment to continue that reconciliation for the life of the world. And so when you receive the bread and you receive the cup, keep these things in mind and meditate on. And before you worry about weak and strong, give thanks that Christ is strengthening you who are weak. We who are weak. So that in his strength, we might become a more hospitable church, not just to the world, to each other first. And then let that radiate out so that we are true ambassadors of reconciliation. A couple of instructions. There is bread that is in a cup by itself that'll come through. You're welcome to grab that. And then the juice is in a cup with a wafer on top. I don't know why, but they're just cheaper if you throw the wafer on top. So, uh, but if you have a, a gluten issue, you can take the wafer. Uh, or if you just want the wafer for health purposes, uh, germ purposes, you can do that as well. But do make sure to shake up that, that juice a bit. It's been sitting for a little while. We have no idea how long. It may even be wine by now, so be careful. <laughs> but we'll take all together as family once we have all received, and then we'll sing the doxology. Let me, uh, if the elders who are serving would come forward, and let's pray. Father, you are gracious and good to give us this means of grace to nourish us, to, to grant us uh, uh, what seems so weak and yet it makes us so strong. And may our strength not cause us to exalt ourselves, Lord, but instead see that that strength is intended to be given away for the purpose of those who are weak. That we are to, to give away the treasure that you've given to us because it is an unending treasury we have access to all the heavenly blessings. Thank you for this invitation. Thank you for including us. Thank you that we get to do this. To your honor and glory. Amen. Let's remember what Christ said on the night that he was crucified. As he was with his most beloved, his friends, in hospitality, he took the bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body given for you the great gift of the forgiveness of sins so that we would no longer have to walk in shame and guilt. And as the meal went on, the hospitality continued and he took the cup and he raised it up and he said, this, this is the cup of the new covenant. This is my blood spilled for the forgiveness of your sins. And in essence, it will flow through you in resurrection power. You will be made new. Not all at one time, but over time. And so he was empowering them to take the message of the gospel out. This table empowers us to the same. Consider those things as you receive.